The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. Some Greeks who had come to worship at the Passover feast came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life, and whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there also will my servant be. The Father will honor whoever serves me. I am troubled now, yet what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd there heard it and said it was thunder, but others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come for my sake, but for yours. This is the time of judgment on this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. I said this, indicating the kind of death. He said this, indicating the kind of death he would die. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to make a a quick plug uh, for Scripture once again. Um, Hopefully, uh, all those Scriptures, maybe you've got some questions, uh, you remember everything, but if you're like a normal person, and if you've, uh, or I should say, if you're like a normal person that's that's just heard this for the first time, you probably, I know it happens to me sometimes, I can't even remember what the first reading is, right? If I haven't been reading it, if I haven't been meditating on it, if I just hear something, it goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, I hear it, but I don't remember it, right? It doesn't really stick with me unless I've kind of already dug my teeth into it a little bit. And so if you want to get more out of Mass, if you want to get more out of these readings and not just have Scripture as something that you, you hear on Sunday and then you completely forget about, unless whatever the, the homily is on, I really encourage you to read it before. If you've heard it before, it should hopefully, you've already connected with it in some ways and have some questions about it or trying to engage it in some ways. One way to do that is there's a huge amount of apps out there. Um, I get a subscription. I get the Magnificat, and, and that kind of sticks with me so that I've got the daily readings and also the weekend. But we also, as, as uh, overseas military base, as well as a lot of military ships and different things, get free the word among us, which I'll just make a plug. This, this time it has this other cover for the military archdiocese. Uh, but this is kind of the cover for the word among us. And it has the daily readings as well as meditations on it, but really encourage you to focus on the weekend. If you can't do every single day the daily readings, just focus on the weekend and maybe read the weekend readings once or twice throughout the week before you get here and you will get more out of it. Now, I've been promoting these um, and said that we've got a whole bunch of them and normally we have to throw them away. Well, this is the first time 
that actually were on our last three. So um, for whatever reason, that's a great problem to have. Again, that's a great problem to have. Normally, that's not our problem. I did give away uh, a few stacks before. So for Easter, we should have enough. Lent, we're out. But for Easter, we've got, you know, uh, boxes of them. So it should be all right. So that's one resource. And normally, they're out on the coffee table out there. And you can just pick them up and take them. Again, don't feel bad about them. You're not taking them from other people. It's good. Normally, we've got to throw them away. So please take them. Uh, And that's one way to engage. So, and if you've heard my homilies before, they, they are kind of focused on the scripture and kind of plug different things out of it. And so I want you to be able to do it. And normally you'd have the songbooks in front of you, which also have all the readings, but we, we, we're not allowed to have those at this time. So it's good to also be able to take something home. So again, uh, we work with what we've got. So now jumping into the readings, which maybe you remember or maybe don't. <laughs> the, the first reading is from the Old Testament, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is during a time which wasn't that good um, from, uh, from the Israelites' perspective. He's actually prophesying a lot of bad things to happen to Israel. But this, we hear a future hope. He says, there will be a time when I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. Now, this is important for us because we're living to a certain extent in that time. Not completely, but we are starting to fulfill. When Jesus came, started to fulfill this new covenant where the Lord says he will place the law within them. Now, what does this mean? Well, in the Israelite time, it says that God was placed as the master. And all the laws kind of come from the outside, right? We've got the Ten Commandments, you shall not. And it's this outside law that's kind of forced on. Now, if you know anything about laws or rules from the outside, it can sometimes be difficult to follow them, right? We have lots of them on this base and in the Navy as a whole, right? And it can sometimes be difficult. If we don't understand the significance of them, the rules, why we have them, and it it can be at times really tempting to break them, right? And that can be true with God's law as well. God wants the law to be from the heart, written on our hearts. Now, there are certain laws and things that are already written on our heart and then are easy to follow. One example I'll say is it totally makes sense for me why I can't steal other people's cars, right? So I don't have to have an exterior law to tell me not to steal other people's cars. Even if there wasn't an exterior law, I wouldn't do it right? Because that's kind of a law and understanding that's written on my heart. When we understand and the law is written on our heart, the rules, our integrity, our intention, it is much easier to follow, okay? So that's the heart that God wants to form, and he forms it through grace, through the sacraments, through the formation of a conscience and reconciliation, and and through the continued knowing of God's law and and trying to make it part of our heart, right? To written on there. Now, we're not at that point yet, right? And so we've still got to create that heart. And that's why I love the psalm today, Psalm 51, which is, is one of the most beautiful psalms. And it's beautiful, not only in its significance of of having mercy on me, cleanse me, create a clean heart, give me back the joy, sustain me, right? All these great prayers, but also because of the significance and the historical part of it. Psalm 51 is traditionally thought, well, a lot of the Psalms are thought to be written by David, but Psalm 51 specifically has the context of King David 
writing it after his sin with Bathsheba. Now, King David is this great character, right? Everybody knows who King David is, right? Killed Goliath with a slingshot, is a, is a king of Israel. He also is said, uh, scripture says that he's a man after God's own heart, right? God even says that. He's a man after my own heart. Now, here's King David, after God's own heart. And towards the end of his life, when he gets older, he sins uh, adultery with Bathsheba, and then he makes it even worse by killing Bathsheba's husband, right? So he, he not only sins, but then piles it on and then gets found out. And this is the song. This is the song that King David writes. Now, that gives us hope because all of us can experience at certain times when we don't always do what we should, right? And we know that. And so Psalm 51 gives us that great prayer of have mercy on me, cleanse me, create a clean heart in me. And then the last line I think is really telling. It, in that formation of, of falling but experiencing God's mercy, he, he says at the end, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall return to you. So this is a beautiful line because it reminds us that in the midst of this, as the Lord is writing this law on our heart, we actually get an opportunity to help other people, right? Not in the same way of our parents maybe saying, don't do that, you know, don't make the same mistakes as me. That often doesn't work. I think this is the road of accompaniment, of somebody, maybe you, you are trying to tell them, you know, not to go down the same road, make the same mistakes, but hopefully you can also walk with people that are experiencing difficulty. This accompaniment of teaching transgressors and, and helping sinners return to God, right? Just as us as well. But that process of learning for King David and for ourselves is often difficult and filled with suffering. And this is where the second reading comes in, where we hear that, that Jesus even Jesus, who was perfect without sin, experienced suffering, right? And what was that suffering for? Well, it was partly out of love, but it says here that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And when he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Now, Jesus is already perfect, but yet it says that he learned obedience from what he suffered and then was made perfect perfect. I don't know exactly this interaction exactly, but, but often we think of suffering or difficulty or death as the greatest evil. And scripture and Jesus Christ especially shows us that suffering and death and difficulty is not the greatest evil. That actually God often uses our struggle, our difficulty, our suffering, and even our death for a greater good to purify us. I think about the analogies of our physical body and the spiritual life. Within the physical body for sports, I think about it for, for different high school sports, high school students, or in general, right? People have a difficulty working hard, right? or getting to the gym or those different things. And I experienced it uh, in high school being, playing football and wrestling that, right, what made a good football or wrestler? Well, you had to put time in. You, you had to work hard. And to a certain extent, you had to suffer. 
you had to go to wrestling practice and get beat up, you know, and, and wrestle somebody who was better than you. You had to be sore because your muscles were working. But it was in that suffering, in that practicing, that in fact you improved and you, you got better. But you couldn't do that without the suffering. And I think it's very similar within the spiritual life that there are certain lessons that we can only learn and only be perfected in the midst of suffering. Now, we see that within the spiritual life. Finally, I want to come to the gospel where uh, Jesus tries to kind of pull some people in on this understanding that suffering is not the greatest evil, that death is not the end. Some Greeks, it says, who came to worship at the Passover. So what that tells us is that, right, Greeks, who are the Greeks? Well, we have Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. These are the great philosophers. They're searching for meaning in life. They're, they're good at uh, understanding just the natural order of things. They're searching for the truth. And these are Greeks who see something within the Hebrews, within Israel, of saying, ah, there's something there. So they went actually there to celebrate the Passover, but they're not Jews, okay? They're not part of the heritage. They weren't born into it. However, they see, and they see Jesus as well, and they're like, hey, we want to talk to that guy. That guy's interesting. Uh, and, but they don't have any connection, right? They're not local Jews. And so who do they talk to? Well, we hear that he says, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. For us in the modern ear, we're like, okay, that's just information. But to, uh, uh, to somebody who was reading the Gospel of John early, they would have known, they would have said, oh yeah, Philip, that's a Greek name. Oh, Bethsaida in Galilee, there's a Greek community there. Oh, so these Greeks who came to Passover couldn't get to Jesus right away. So, so who did they talk to? Well, they, they talked to the people that they knew, right? Somebody that they had some connection with that had some similarities of the Greek culture. And so they talked with Philip. And Philip didn't even go right to Jesus. Philip talked to Andrew, was like, hey, I've got these guys. What am I supposed to do with them? Talk to Andrew. And then they both go to Jesus. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful example of the way in which people come to Jesus. is often not directly. They come to people who are connected to him. You're connected to him, right? There are a lot of people who have questions about Jesus that have heard about him, or want to know more about them. And guess what? They're not going to come to church. They're not going to come talk to the priest. They're going to come talk to you. They're your coworkers. They're your neighbors. You're the people that are connected in different ways. And those relationships are so important because they're opportunities for this connection to be a bridge to Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus speaks to them, speaks to the Greeks, he doesn't use, uh, he uses their philosophy and natural law in the midst of it all. And as Catholics, we, I, I love this, of just the naturalness that God has actually written into the world certain truths. And he tells this truth, that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The natural world tells us about the spiritual realities and truths of who God is and also about our lives. That if we try to protect our lives and not let any vulnerabilities or any sufferings or any difficulties come, we kind of lose our life. 
nothing really happens. But if we're willing to lay down our life, to die to a certain extent to ourselves, then we find it. We actually get to live life. I think one of the other analogies that we have in front of us at church are candles, which experience the same exact uh, uh, contradiction, where in order for the candle to do what it's supposed to, it dies, right? If we have a wax candle, these aren't wax, these are oil, so you can't see it as well, uh, but with wax candles, as you use them, you lose them. So one extent we could say, well, we got to keep the candles, so let's not use them. But then they're not the candles that they were made to be. Candles are meant to be lit, to give light. But if we don't light them, then they don't ever actually live. But in using them, then they die, right? And in the oil, the oil is used up, right? And they are a symbol for Christ, but I love this symbol as well of their life giving as well. That in order for candles to do what they're supposed to, they they give. And we ourselves as human beings are also in the same way made to give our life. And Jesus Christ not only tells it, God not only shows it in the natural order and tells it again and again throughout scripture, but then we have Jesus Christ who comes and demonstrates it with his life. And he tells us that we're made for love, We're made for abundant life. We're made for the resurrection. But first comes suffering. First comes the cross. First comes difficulty and struggle. But then comes what what ultimately God has made us for. And sometimes we can see those as just roadblocks, right? Oh, we just got to get over it and then we're good. But Jesus actually shows us that that's all part of it, that it, in fact, the obedience that from which he suffered, he learned obedience from what he suffered and was made perfect. And similarly for us, it's not just something to get over to like, oh, we just got to get through the cross in order to get to the resurrection. But actually the cross helps perfect us for the resurrection. That suffering actually allows us to love and to live more. Jesus Christ wants us to have abundant life. Um, He wants us to be able to experience Easter and the resurrection in the full, uh, but we have to work to get there. Uh, You put in what you get out, and Jesus Christ here is, is calling us. He wants his law to be written in our hearts. He wants that perfection. He wants us to be a mediator and a bridge to life in the world. May we ourselves accept that suffering that struggle with the law, that, that struggle, that, that suffering that writes his law on our hearts so that we might be a light to the nations, so that we might experience true life that he wants to give us. Uh, Lent is not over. I don't know how your Lent has been so far, but we still have two weeks left. And so I just encourage you in the midst of this, it doesn't matter what it's been in the past. You have the choice today and the next days. And so let us, let us experience and let us be a part of that so that we might truly be able to experience the great gift, gifts that God wants to give us this Lent.